Hall of Fame Village Media and the Pro Football Hall of Fame present Football Heaven. Football Heaven is a term we've heard numerous times in Hall of Famer enshrinement speeches. Uh, Marshall Falk used it, Chris Carter used it, and others. But yeah, it's kind of like what you hear all the time about you know, the song Rock and Roll Heaven. Well, there's a football heaven too, and this is it, a football heaven. John, you sit in it, right? Isn't it a little dusty to be heaven? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, my, my hay fever is always acting up, but I, I tell you, you know, you, you uncover all this stuff and, and there's just such uh, gems. Uh, the stories are, are priceless. Well, clearly you've been telling them for how long now? 18 years? Is that right? Yeah, 18 years. Uh, Joe Horgan hired me as an intern and uh, uh, you know, got my feet wet uh, you know, touring uh, uh, students around around the Pro Football Hall of Fame way back when. And, and uh, now I oversee 40 million pages of documents and 6 million photographic images and uh, just countless stories. So really, really honored to be here. You see how he threw me under the bus there right away, Didi? I mean, if it, if it doesn't work out, he's going to say, well, it was Joe Horrigan's fault. He hired me. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was kind of an age thing that he was saying, oh, he was just a mere intern yeah, yeah, when you were hired. No question when you about were it. in a position of power to do that. Well, this is the 44th year for me at the, Hall of, at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So it is an age thing. <laughs> well, and you were convinced to come back out of retirement, that's so it really correct. must be heaven. Yeah, you know, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. I did retire in 2019, right in the beginning of the pandemic. Never retire during a pandemic, folks. There is nothing for you to do. So uh, about uh, back a few months ago, back in November, when the Hall of Fame hired a new president, Jim Porter, he gave me a call and asked me if I'd consider coming out of retirement. I, I kind of felt like uh, Tom Brady. <laughs> I don't know that Tom Brady is ever retiring, Joe. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. And and I'm much older than Tom, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to get to Tom Brady artifacts at some point during this series. But, John, since you did take me on a tour just a few weeks ago, I feel like we have to start with the oddest, most bizarre, most unusual items in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And obviously... We have to start with Edger and James's hair. <laughs> I tell you, it, it's the only uh, um, piece of hair that we actually have at the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, or, or somebody's, uh, <laughs> it's not a body part, but uh, it, it's pretty incredible. Um, you know, and, and the, the fact that he not only uh, saved it, but then, then decided to donate it to us. Uh, when he was enshrined, uh, it's just incredible. But, you know, the story behind it is really fascinating because he was such a team player. And, you know, uh, for a lot of people, myself included, you know, hair, hair is a very important thing, uh, you know. And, and uh, for him, uh, the, the, the rule in the NFL is if you get tackled by your hair, um, that's not a penalty. It's, it's part of, uh, you know, your person. And uh, in a game against Cleveland, he was uh, running down the sidelines, gets pulled down by his hair. And after the game, he thought, you know, if we would have lost this game because I got tackled by my hair, I don't think I could forgive myself. So, I mean, he's such a team player that the next week he, he cut his hair off and then, you know. Okay, but we, I mean, Joe, Joe yeah. that game was in 2003. He was enshrined in 2020. When he comes to you with this Ziploc bag of hair, <laughs> what do you say? And then 
Do you ask him where he saved it for 17 years? I, I, I'm only jealous that he had it, first of all. And I, I wanted to borrow it, you know, when I went out one night, but, you know, it just, just didn't look natural on me. But yeah, that's a great question, Aditi. You know, I have no clue. Um, it, it is probably the, as you pointed out, the most unusual, and I'll call it odd, uh, artifact in, our, in the Hall of Fame. I mean, there's been some some odd offerings in the past, but this is the maybe the oddest one we actually have. But did you add, do we know the answer to this or do we have to track him down? Where did he save it? Why did he save it? And where was it saved? Well, but that, that's, I'll tell you, it's very well preserved. <laughs> How does hair get old? I mean, <laughs> you know, but that's a great thing. That's what this show's all about. We're going to have not only the artifacts, but we have the living assets to tell us about what they are and what they represent. Why they have their hair in a bag, I don't know. That uh, kind of sounds like okay. a bad movie. What was that movie? Uh, three heads in a bag or ten heads in a bag? We got Adrian, Adrian James, hair in a bag. As we are talking about the most unusual artifacts in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, your hair keeps coming up. <laughs> tell the story. Can you please tell the story. Absolutely. Yes. Well, we was playing against Cleveland Browns. And um, they had made this rule that your hair is part of your uniform. And so the guys, they took it upon themselves. At the end of the play, you know, they would grab my hair, they will pull my hair. And I just felt it was a, strict, it was a distraction. So I just treat like a business decision. Like, I, my hair will grow. I, gotta, I, gotta, I have a nice... I have nice hair. I come from a nice family that has good hair, so I'm not worried about the hair. But it was something they did to try to um, irritate me or kind of poke at you. So I just... Tuck it out. I just said, let me just go. Let me just cut this hair so that it becomes a non-issue, you know, because the rules are the rules and your hair is not protected. And I think they were just doing that to kind of jug at me or, you know, the little things that defenders try to do to try to get under your skin. So it's one of those things where I was like, man, let me just cut it off and I kept it. Well, okay, so let's get to that. If it was a business decision and not emotional, why would you keep it? Because it's my hair, you know, <laughs> and it tells a story. Yeah, you know, it was part of the story. It was, it was it was a reason behind it. You know, I didn't just cut my hair just because I oh I just want to cut my hair. It, it was truly a football business decision, and it was a part of it, it's it, it was part of the game, so to speak, because it came straight from that. You know, I had no intentions of I'm gonna cut my hair, but after it happened in the game, and the NFL made a rule that the hair is a part of the uniform. You know, I just said I'm just gonna cut this and keep this. So you cut it in 2003, but you donated it in 2020? That's when I got into the hall. So, so where'd you keep it this whole time? Um, I have places. I have places. <laughs> but like in a Ziploc bag? Yeah, it was in the same bag I gave it to him. Yep. In all your time visiting the, visiting the city of Canton, what is one of your favorite things about this place? Mm, well, I haven't did anything outside of being here for this, so I haven't really explored the city yet, you know, but as I keep coming up here, I find something to do because I got to get out of this hotel at some point. <laughs> All right, Franco Harris has a candy store he would recommend, and Fred Beletnikoff has a tavern he would like to tell you about. And Marcus <laughs> Allen still, has... Does the tavern stay open past 1, 2 o'clock in my hours? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a late night person. I hang out. And Marcus Allen has a golf course for you. That's an early morning thing. I'm a <laughs> night person.
All right. Well, moving on from uh, um, hair to an, a body part, sort of kind of a body mm. part, uh, Jerry Rice's hands. Somebody sculpted or uh, molded uh, Jerry Rice's actual hands to uh, hold a football that uh, he, he broke a record. Um, you know, Joe, you can you can kind of talk probably better than me about how we acquired that or who we got to, yeah, it, uh, it was, to create. It was one of those thing. odd things, again, where somebody said, that, you know, it was, it was, you look at it, it is a piece of art. It truly is. I mean, it sounds like a bizarre piece of art. But no, if you look at it, there's an accompanying picture of, you know, you can picture Jerry Rice with the extended arms and his hands on the ball. I mean, he literally, this, this artist molded his hands and sculpted them to look like that photo of that image. And the ball places right in there, like, well, just exactly what it is, made for it. It is the most unusual ball holder I have ever seen, but it is it, it, it has emotion. You know, it really does capture the spirit of, of these extended arms of Jerry Rice, you know, grabbing the ball and holding it rather than being on a plexiglass, you know, tray of some sort or another, that, you know, to put it on display. It, I think it's really a, a great way of doing it. You know, of all the amazing things that we know about Jerry Rice, I think the fact that he learned how to catch football so well by catching bricks from his bricklayer father yeah, is yep. probably the most un- dynamic thing about him. Yeah. And it makes sense. I mean, if you can catch a brick, why couldn't you catch a football? Well, you know, I always wondered whether he was catching bricks or dodging bricks, you know, so <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's, it's all it depends on how you want to present your father. My father was throwing bricks at me or my father was teaching me to catch. You know, I, I'm not quite well, sure. Either way, it helps with football, your agility or your catching ability. Yeah, you're going so. you're gonna, to you're gonna catch it or you're going to have missing teeth. So. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on from that one. You're talking about what helps with football. John, you do have something that did not help, and that is the Lombardi coil. So you have a piece of electrical wiring mm. that never worked in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, the ice bowl, you know, uh, the, the Dallas Cowboys will tell you that it, it wasn't maybe faulty wiring, but that the uh, the groundskeeper actually, you know, turned off the coil so that the uh, the tundra actually became frozen in Lambeau Field. It was actually installed to to help melt the, the snow and ice on the field. But uh, during that ice bowl, it never actually worked. Uh, it was a faulty coil uh, when they when they replaced the field and, and tore that out, they they sent the coil to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and it is certainly an oddity, but tells a, a great story. You know, I hate to stick with sort of the same game, but I think one of the ones that I thought was super unusual, too, was that whistle from the ref in the <laughs> ice bowl that he had to he, – he, what did he put on it? Medical tape just so it wouldn't stick to his lips? Yeah, that, that was Fritz Graf, I believe, is, uh, that official was. And, and the, it was so cold, you know, if you wet your lips and stuck a whistle in your mouth, it was going to stick. You know, the old trick. I grew up in Buffalo. I know it's cold. And, uh, you know, you get some poor kid to kiss a stop sign and then watch him scream as he rips his lips off. But that's, you know. Wait, wait, Joe, you oh, did that? You no, did that well, to your you friends? Know, I, I just know people who did that. I don't I, you know. But, you know. The Christmas story is actually it's a, a real yeah, life yeah, story that, of Joe. That's exactly <laughs> Joe. right. This was a common thing. You know, you, you found somebody. I, not that my lips, not that these scars are from that. But anyway. Well, you know, when we think of the ice bowl and we think of great old teams, and you, of course, eventually get to Miami mm-hmm. and the undefeated team, the only undefeated <clears> team <throat> in the history of the National Football League. We know that Joe will eventually take us to not the only <laughs> undefeated team in the history of pro football, but the only one in the history of the National Football League. And um, Joe, when I was walking around with John, there was a record, like a turntable record. 
Yeah, we have to explain yeah, but... much, much of our audience today what's a record. You know, it's not <laughs> we're not talking about the record book. There's actually a piece of vinyl, as they call it now. You know, it's a uh, vinyl recording highlights from that season. You know, and, and we've had it on display so long, though. And, I, and you asked a great question, Didi, when you were with John. It's, have we ever opened that record? I said, I don't even, I don't think we've opened it. I think it's just uh, sealed and never been opened. So we have a collectible in the sense of a record collectible as well. But I keep using the word record. I mean, it was the record season on a vinyl record. And now we've got it, uh, you know, for record collectors, this, this pristine condition record from 1972. Yeah, but what if it's a blank? What if it's one of those Jamarcus Russell DVDs? Well, you know, what fear, you know, the greater fear is what if we find out there was a game they lost? <laughs> oh, and nobody knows. Well, I think we're going to have to get that re- uh, record player plugged in and, and get that vinyl off display and, and, and listen and see what, what we got going on. Yeah. I, you know, what, what's great is, you know, we always say this, but, you know, the audio history is such a great part of the Hall of Fame. We've got a great audio collection. But, uh, you know, as you see going through the Hall of Fame all the time, we're talking about artifacts and, you know, we use artifacts to teach, to, to tell stories. But the real storytellers of football for us, the historians, have been the media, you know, on that you know record. It's it's members of the media that recorded history for us. There weren't you mean historians. Back when we were respected. There oh, was yeah. a time when um, we were respected. You know, they Is were very respected. They were a part of the team. Traveled with the team. They flew on the planes with them. I mean, they were the you know the the news providers and not the news makers. You know, it was it was more of, of a um, most team PR directors came out of the uh, out of the newspaper business. So it was this very close family. Uh, and I, I always point that out because, you know, so many times um, there are too many critics, I think, of, of sports media uh, because, you know, whatever the reason. And I think it's largely because the electronic media has become so much more interactive. But the great stories that have been preserved in history are the result of the members of the media doing their job and doing it well. Well, I'd like to think so for sure, Joe. So I appreciate there you that. Go. <laughs> it's... Uh laying witness to history, right? Absolutely. Which also, that brings me to somebody who missed the biggest piece of history (laughs) in his franchise's (laughs) entire existence. And that, of course, is the chief. And that, if you'll please tell us, is why you have an elevator panel. Yeah, we have uh, actually the elevator panel, you know, which, you know, would be the chrome uh, piece of metal around the buttons, selecting floors and open door and so on. And then the panel above the door, which indicates lights up what floor you're on. We had both pieces that Dan Rooney thought was thinking enough when they were uh, building the new stadium and taking down the old stadium in Pittsburgh. So these are the ones from Three Rivers Stadium. These are from Three Rivers Stadium, yes. And they were in the elevator that serviced the press box that the chief, or Art Rooney Sr., would leave the the press box and travel down to the locker room to greet the team after a game. Well, as those of you who know about the, you know, the immaculate reception, the playoff game in which, or the game that was really the students' first introduction to the playoffs, um, the game looked like it was over. I mean, and, and Art Rooney got up and was going to beat the crowd and so on and got in the elevator to go down to the locker room and console his team, who he was so proud they got to that playoff game and, you know, was going to, you know, congratulate them on a fine season and so on. But he's down here when he's in the elevator, literally, the immaculate reception occurs. Franco Harris catches the ball off his shoestrings of his shoe, runs for a touchdown, wins in the controversy at the end of the game where the officials huddled up and didn't know what to call. They didn't know if there was a rule violation between 
<clears throat> with the uh, double uh, double touch rule from the Bradshaw pass, hitting two people in the same play. And so on. anyway, long story short, the chief is in the elevator. Franco Harris scores that touchdown. He goes in the locker room expecting this solemn occasion, and they're all there cheering and thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, you had a great season. Do you have any, you know, you lost. And all of a sudden, you know, Joe Brown or Joe Brown, Joe Green tells the story about how, no, no, coach, we, we won, we won. And then they had to, you know, kind of explain to him what happened. And he said, oh, my God, you know, went from the worst day of his life to the best day of his life. And he missed it. The best day in the history of the Pittsburgh Steelers franchise, the franchise he founded in 1933. He missed it because he was in this elevator. So Dan Rooney, a great historian himself. Thought of enough of this is this is great things to have at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. When they removed the elevator, he took the panels and sent them to us. So he could never actually definitively answer if Franco actually caught the ball fairly oh, or not. He couldn't even tell you for definitively if they if they won or lost. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, this does beg the question, John. Has anybody called you? Of course, in the city of Pittsburgh. Heinz Field now has a brand new name, Acrisure Stadium, and those iconic Heinz ketchup bottles were taken down. Has anybody offered them to the Hall of Fame? Not as of yet. And, uh, you know, I'll be waiting for that call, but I don't know if we have a storage facility large enough for those bottles. I saw the cranes bringing them down, and, and I, I'm not quite sure. That that would be uh, uh, something we'd have to discuss uh, as a group on on. on would that would could, that go on the list? Would that go on Joe's list of odd <laughs> items that have been offered to you that you did not accept? Give us another one, Joe. Well, Give us I, one of the I was crazy just ones. Say, I don't know if the ketchup bottle cuts the mustard for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How long have you been saving that one, Joe? No, just <laughs> I got to be a bit of a hot dog, you know. Well, uh, okay. So before we continue well, on our list of ten most unusual, <laughs> throw us a little aside. What's one? that you have actually rejected? What's one offering well, you that know, you said, nope? We had a very strange offer once, and this came in just in a mail. We didn't even have to reject it. We just threw it out. Uh, someone sent us a letter from a hotel room, which he has stayed in, and he claimed to be the next person after one of our Hall of Famers that stayed in that room. And he sent us a envelope with toenail clips in it and claimed it to be that Hall of Famer's toenails and thought we should have them. We thought otherwise. <laughs> did you even call? Did you call the Hall of Famer to ask him if they could? No, I did not. We did not do a DNA test. We did uh, quickly dispose of them, did not touch them, uh, did not ever want to hear from that man again. <laughs> only... Well, okay, how about this one? Because this, I think, is crazy. Someone you did hear from is Brett Favre who asked for something that he had donated back, John? How does that work? Well, well, when you were talking about Tom Brady retiring and, and unretiring, uh, you know, Brett Favre, he, he made that famous. I mean, we had the, the Favre watch uh, all through training camp multiple times. But, but yeah, when he uh, originally retired from the Green Bay Packers, uh, he donated his entire uniform to the Pro Football Hall of Fame along with his equipment, so shoulder pads and, and thigh pads and, knee pads. Um, but, you know, when players, uh, you know, after playing for so long, they really get accustomed and comfortable with certain pads. Some of them they'll wear their entire career. Well, well Brett had uh, custom thigh pads that, that he had throughout his career. And when he decided to uh, come back and play and, and sign with the Jets, 
uh, he wanted those thigh pads. He didn't care about the shoulder pads, didn't care about you know anything else, but these thigh pads were really special to him. So we, we don't make it a point to deaccession a lot from our collection and, and return, but, but Brett swore that, hey, I'll wear them when I do retire full-time, I'll send them back to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So we deaccessioned them, we sent them to uh, the New York Jets, uh, he wore those for the rest of his career with the Jets, the, the Vikings, and ultimately they did come back to the Pro Football Hall of Fame and, and are in our archive collection now. What do you, when you have something like that, Joe, what do you do? Like, do you courier it so you don't lose it, or does it just go in FedEx or in USPS? Well, you know, it, it's really, it varies. Sometimes things come to us, you know, records are broken. We don't know when they're going to be broken. Uh, but when we do know, we try to be at the event, the game, or at least hope it happens in a game with it. If it's a career milestone, we, we might have to chase a, you know, a team for a couple of games. But we try to be there when it's significant enough that we do that, they stop the game, they present it. But there are occasions where you know a team says, hey, our guy just did this, and it's in the mail to you. They FedEx it to you. But I know uh, I, when I went to uh, Denver uh, with Peyton Manning, uh, How'd you know I was going to go oh, there? I knew That's you would. Exactly I knew you would. <laughs> where I was going to go next, actually. Okay, so when Peyton Manning, just to set it up for our listeners, when Peyton Manning broke the record with his 509th touchdown, Great. it was marked by a piece of loose leaf paper with three rings, three holes in it. Yep. And Joe, you were following the guy around for how many games? I think it was three games, and and you know, and, he, and, and they weren't great games. He did not nicer? have his best games, you know, as he approached that record. And he hurt, got injured. I was really getting uh, frequent flyer miles is all I was getting, no no artifact. But when he did break it, and he is such a student of history, uh, he put that down. He literally, we were in the locker room, and he's looking for something. He wanted to have a photo taken of him holding the ball and the number, and he just pulled that piece of paper out of somebody's binder that was on the, you know, one of the uh, uh, benches or the, in the locker room. And we're, we're standing there taking pictures. And it was like, see, he made, you know, he was just so caught, caught up in the moment. And that's how he is. He understands history. He understood the, the significance of what he accomplished. But he was, he, he is, uh, he's such a, I don't know, I, I guess a team-oriented guy like, like John was saying about Edrin. You know, he looked, you know, where's the guy that caught the ball? I got to get him in the photo. And then he's getting me in the photo and he's getting everybody in the photo and you know, so on and so forth. So we're taking a lot of photos and then I'm eventually going to leave. Now I've got this little bag I'm putting it in and I'm going to take it with me on the airplane. Well, as I'm leaving, one of the guys from the from the media says, you know, are, are you shipping that back to Canton? He says, no, I'm here to take it back to Canton. He goes, are you checking in luggage? And I said, no, I'm taking it on his carry on. He goes, where are you going to put it? And I said, I don't know, probably under my seat. And he looks at me and goes, what if somebody takes it? I said, what are they going to do, run up to first class? And I said, they can't, they can't steal it. And he says, you don't travel first class? I said, no, I don't travel first class. Neither does the ball. So, but anyway, before we, you know, ever got out of the, on the plane, you know, I had to get up to my car, which, is, you know, when you're parking in Denver, you know, it's a mile high and it's also a mile away from where you park. So they gave me a security card to walk with me to my car. And as I just get to my car, my cell phone rings and it's Peyton Manning. And he says, have you left yet? And I said, no, I, I haven't left. And he says, oh, good. Can you come back? And I said, um, I guess. He goes, I forgot to get a picture with my wife. And so I <laughs> had to walk back with the football so you can get a picture with his wife. So we get that done. I leave again, walk back to my car. And it wasn't a short walk. And we get back to my car, and I'm getting in, and it rings again. And I look at him, and I think, oh, now who do you forget? He says, are you still here? And I said, 
Uh, no, I'm just getting on the freeway. Oh, never mind. It's just somebody from the media. <laughs> so so we, we eventually got it here to Canton. And we're always very proud, you know, particularly when it's a game that we can get back the next day and literally have it on display for people to see immediately afterwards. But that, that piece of paper, that's what I, I really liked about that because we put that on display with the ball. And it's such a great piece of the story. You know, when you start thinking about it, you see that number, you see the football, and it isn't about a one moment play it is about a lifetime of commitment for that type of a record to be broken so you know it really struck home with me when i'm looking at that number looking at the ball and thinking about this started back in junior high school the preparation for this record for him and that's what i i hope when we show these artifacts at the hall of fame that that's what people really realize it we freeze frame moments in time but we also tell the greater story which is a guy who's dedicated his life to being excellent and those are just artifacts that help bring that to light. And so that that was his handwriting. That's Peyton Manning's oh, yeah. handwriting. Oh yeah, he scribbled it right He's there. He's the right one that front. wrote it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so John, why in the all the photos there's three little holes? Like it was clearly ripped out of a binder. But when you display it in the hall, the holes are sort of folded over, so at least <laughs> it looks a little bit better. Who decided to do that? Well, we we actually because uh, you know we we try to keep you know the the light levels low. Um, you know. Ultimately, we're here to preserve the history. We want to make sure that uh, we're not always having the original on display all the time. We need to rotate that through. Um, so, you know, we're trying to tell a story, but, you know, with, with the quality of paper these days, the different markers, you get a lot of fading really quickly. And so just making sure that we're, we're on top of preserving that. So uh, that particular day, we did have uh, uh, a replica on display next to that football showing it. Uh, like I said, you know, every two to three months, we're rotating through things, uh, making sure that uh, th- these things are preserved. I guess that tells you how observant I am, that I noticed <laughs> that they didn't have the three holes in it. Well, okay, you know, speaking. Go, go ahead. Go, no, I was just going to say, yes. I, I, John brings up a very good point that most people don't realize about you know, museums. And the Pro Football Hall of Fame is a nationally accredited museum, which very few museums have that accreditation from the American Alliance of Museums. So we brag about that. But in order to get that, we have a, a very, very strict best practices policy. We have heat, light, and, and temperature and humidity controls throughout the entire building to minimize the, uh, the impact of, of the environment on our collection, but, and, and I know you've been down to the archives, uh, you, you know, you can go in there and you can just feel the moisture, leave the room, you know, it is all temperature controlled. It is all, you know, very, very, uh, every, everything is acid-free containers and so on. So these things will last a lot longer than they would have been in somebody's family room if uh, the guy who broke a record didn't donate it to us. So that's actually great because the next one on my list, which is in no particular order, of course, you have tremendous documents. You have original contracts. You have the very first letter that Bill Belichick wrote, which I know we're going to get to at some point. But the letter to FDR <laughs> about the satellite trucks and the neighbor to the polo grounds who refused to allow the satellite trucks to park in front of his home. John, we're going to have to read this one because, I mean, seriously, I, I don't know that it's the most unusual, but it made me laugh out loud in multiple spots. Well, I, uh, I 
don't have that on me right now. But, you don't carry uh, that with you? <laughs> I, I do not. No, and uh, I, you know, I, I wish I was actually sitting. I'm sitting in a room adjacent to the archives right now. But uh, just a tremendous letter. It it, it does, um, you know, it, to me, you know, shows you kind of the evolution of of professional football, and you, you see the game today and. You know, I think any person would say, oh, the National Football League wants to broadcast a, a championship game uh, or, or uh, a, a game. Uh, yeah, sure. You can use my yard for whatever. Um, but back then, you know, it, no, you can't use my, you know, <laughs> park in front of my, my house. John, I have a copy of the letter in my hand right now, so I'm going to bail you out. There you go. <laughs> Perfect. I, I am going to read it, Aditi. And I'm going to read it fast because it's not a short letter, but it is from uh, the vice president in charge of television. And this is 1939, the first year that the NFL ever made television. The first televised game was Brooklyn Dodgers and the Philadelphia Eagles in 1939. And it was a part of the uh, 1939 World, Ser- or World Series, World's Fair, uh, RCA Pavilion was uh, broadcasting all the Brooklyn Dodgers uh, home games. Well, apparently the president, uh, President Roosevelt, took an interest in seeing uh, the game. Uh, and from his home in New York, he had a home in the, along the Hudson River somewhere. He wanted to see a game. And I'm going to read it here. He said, uh, this is a, a letter written to President Roosevelt from this uh, Alfred Morton. And he says, dear Mr. President, living in or near New York often gives us the feeling of living in an enlightened age of progress. But alas, such has not been the case in our efforts to televise the professional football games from the polo grounds on November 26th and December 3rd. Our dilemma revolves around permission to park our nice big television trucks on property adjacent to the polo grounds in order that we could take you by television to these games on Sunday afternoon. The owner of the only available property is as vacillating as a weather vane. First, he said he, we could park. Then he said we couldn't. He changed his mind four separate times. We offered to pay a stiff parking fee. We also offered to reimburse him for any damage to his property. Sad but true. He told us as far as our television trucks were concerned, he just didn't want any highfalutin contraptions around. He tried every, we tried every argument we could think of to get the game for you, but in vain. So instead of professional football on Sunday, December 3rd, we invite your attention to a series of unusual fencing matches by leading exponents of the art, all members of New York's exclusive fencers club. Who knows? Thrust, rapporté, lunge, and parry may prove more exciting than a forward pass or an end run. The time is still the same, 2.30 p.m., and we hope you like it. Sincerely. (laughs) Okay, but that begs the question. Did... President Roosevelt call the vacillating neighbor. I don't think so because we did not have the game televised. So it it is amazing, though, the power of one man could keep an entire television debut from occurring. Now, remember, in 1939, when they televised that first NFL game, it was one camera. The play-by-play announcer sat behind the cameraman, literally just doing like a radio call. It was black and white, and you know the, when the sun would shift in the stadium, the this, this uh, screen would go blank. I mean, they, they didn't have enough light to really make a, a powerful transmission of this thing. So, it was a, a very experimental station. It was NBC, but they had an experimental station, and um, 
I guess it succeeded because here we are. You know, that takes me back more than a dozen years. I was at the Wall Street Journal and I had gone into the Giants locker room and I was thinking in my head, what if I find old footage of Tom Coughlin, (laughs) of strict Tom Coughlin playing at Syracuse with Floyd Little and Larry Zonka and had his running backs, had Brandon Jacobs and Ahmad Bradshaw watch Tom Coughlin on film. And Coach Coughlin scoffed at the idea and said, film doesn't exist from those days. (laughs) Which I think was his way of saying, I don't want those guys watching me play. Well, you know, that was uh, a line that that, uh, Lyndon Johnson once used with Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford was a great player at Michigan and uh, literally was going to, uh, was offered an opportunity to play for the Green Bay Packers and turned it down. But uh, Johnson used to say, Gerald, you played too long without a helmet. Okay, John, I have to be honest, this next one, I mean, really, really, really incredible. And um, I did wonder if it was forged. Can you take us through it? Well, I think it really showcases uh, what we collect uh, and and how we get things here at the Pro Football Hall of Fame and, and the fact that we do save everything. And this is a letter, you know, Coach Belichick wrote to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1976. It was his first job in the National Football League with the Detroit Lions. And he's writing the Pro Football Hall of Fame asking for game footage. So surprise, surprise, Bill Belichick wants game footage from, from our collection. And um, at the time, you know, he wasn't future Hall of Fame head coach, right? It was administrative assistant Bill Belichick. Um, and, you know, he just really has a special relationship with the history of the game, uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. 2019, Ty Law was getting enshrined. Coach Belichick comes here for the enshrinement. I get to spend about two and a half hours with Coach down in the archives. And I tell you, he could have spent days down here really going through Paul Brown's playbooks, um, Don Shula's notebooks, all of these things. He was just eating up all this information from all the uh, great history of the National Football League. But you know, I really give Jim Campbell, who in 1976 was the Pro Football Hall of Fame's librarian, a lot of credit for saving uh, this letter, because uh, who was Bill Belichick at that time? You know, just an administrative assistant. Instead, he you know saves it, puts it in a, a box uh, on a shelf somewhere, and decades later, I'm going through archiving and and resorting uh, different boxes, and lo and behold, this letter comes out, and uh, just just really an, an incredible artifact. I'll be honest, John. I think what strikes me most about that letter is how deferential Coach Belichick's tone is. <laughs> but at least that gives us something to ask him about when he joins us for a tour through his own artifacts in the Hall of Fame. Can't wait. That takes us, gentlemen, to the 10th most unusual object in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And I have to say, do either of you think that I've left a, that I've had a glaring omission? Gosh, it's hard to tell. You know, I mean, there's how many uh, how many objects, John? How many thousands? We, I'm sure there's a glaring omission. Over thirty thousand. You know, I can't rattle the through my brain at this point. All right, then how about <laughs> let's go to this one. What's with the bearskin, John? Hmm. Uh, hmm. Yeah, it's a. Uh, you know, I, I'm much more of a. You know, the team wins the championship. You know, the jewelry. You know, a watch fob maybe. But uh, George Hallis had had other ideas, and uh, we've got this really unique bear skin uh, framed uh, <laughs> piece of wall art, I guess, that he thought his players would really enjoy for for a, a championship season. 
So instead of that big, fat, diamond-encrusted ring, they all got a dead bear to hang on their walls? It was, you know what, it's, it's actually, it's a, it's a piece of bear skin, literally. You know, and then there, each of the uh, names of the players on every, uh, every name of the player uh, is on the team is uh, engraved or, or, or written on the name in black ink. Uh, there's a illustration, a hand-painted illustration of a bear. There's 1933 world's champions uh, written across it and framed and uh, Peter would not like it. <laughs> well, it's a good thing he didn't have any vegetarians on the team. Well, that's I'd true. say that too. Well, well and, the, and, the, and the players must have enjoyed it too. Cause we only have one in the collection. It's not like everybody's family. Are like, I don't want this thing. I'm going to donate it to the hall of fame. So wait, so uh, who gave it to you? What player, what player gave it up? It was it was the daughter of a player, and I, I I honestly can't remember which which guy it was, but she had held on to it for all those years, and she came to us and explained and told us the story, and sure enough, there it is. We'll we'll check the provenance on that one. Awesome. Well, <laughs> gentlemen, we've got like you said, thousands and thousands and thousands of artifacts and stories to tell off of those artifacts, and we'll have an A list of guests to tell us their memories of those stories. Like, for instance, Franco Harris, who now has been casting doubt on whether it was actually a legitimate catch. <laughs> I can't wait to talk to him about that one. Well, and you might tease what uh, we have of his, uh, the artifact from that uh, Immaculate Reception game when uh, they were replacing the turf at Three Rivers Stadium. He saw uh, on the news that it was occurring and he thought, oh, my God, I got to go down there. He's, he says, I got to get the turf where the uh, play occurred. And he got out his newspaper clips to make sure he knew exactly where it was, you know, the, from the photos and so on, went down. And like I have always said, there was the immaculate reception and then there was divine intervention. Because by the time he got there, literally the crew that was shredding the, uh, the field, the turf with this machine, had literally gone to for their lunch break. And he says, just a couple of yards away from where the play occurred. So he, he got there because of divine intervention. They had stopped their work. He got there, he cut it out. And we have the turf at the, at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The visual of Franco Harris walking down to Three Rivers Stadium with an X-Acto knife <laughs> and cutting out a piece of used up carpet and well it's just carpet boy it is a, it is it, that is one of the things that if if you look at it you think my god they played on that stuff i mean it's it's i got better carpet in my bedroom <laughs> well and maybe that's why joe namath needed that famous knee brace there you go. We'll also get to at Absolutely. some point so it's been a lot of fun guys and we've just got more stories to tell we hope that you Just all enjoyed listening iceberg. to this. Give us a follow, <laughs> download, wherever, rate, review, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we look forward to seeing you again, talking to you again on the next episode of Football Heaven. Visit Canton and experience Hall of Famers hometown favorites for yourself. Plan your trip to America's playing field. If you enjoyed today's episode, please, please check out the Hall's other exciting podcast, The Mission. For more Football Heaven episodes and bonus content, please visit Hall of Fame Village Media and Pro Football Hall of Fame social media.